looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Welcome back, everyone, to the show. Super happy to have you guys tune in this week. This week's episode is going to be a little bit different. The tables have turned. This week, I'm actually being interviewed by one of my good friends, Yona Weiss, on his podcast, Weiss Advice. Great name, great guy, great show. Definitely suggest you check it out. But this is my episode that I was on of his show last week. Hope you guys enjoy it. And here we go. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I am your host as always, Yona Weiss, the late night DJ. That's me. And I got today with us, Dante Belmonte. We are very excited to talk about this gentleman who is the host of a great podcast called Make Money Make Sense in Real Estate and the co-founder of Victory Capital Group, a multifamily investment company. Dante, we're going to get into, there's a lot more to your bio and everything like that, but just a, a brief synopsis. How are you doing this morning? And tell us a little bit about what you're working on. Yona, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for uh, reaching out and having me on the show. I've had you on as well. And we had a great episode talking about cost seg. Um, so thank you for inviting me on. But yes, my name is Dante Belmonte. So I'm located in upstate New York. Uh, I work as a residential slash semi commercial real estate agent here with my uh, wife, Madeline, and my daughter, Margo, uh, new daughter as of November. And my partner, DJ, and I, we syndicate multifamily properties in the Southeast, uh, mainly in the state of North Carolina. We've done a few deals there, have another one under contract, and uh, just kind of picking up as we go. That's amazing. And what you've done, what's amazing to me is that you really took the uh, the knowledge and the experience through the, the residential and semi-multifamily brokerage that you've been working on for years. Yep. Extremely successful, probably very humble about it as well, but uh, <laughs> you are you know, transacting tons of deals. And then at a certain point, you kind of figured, well, I got to Gotta invest some of this capital as well, right? Yeah, I mean, it all folds into each other. So I'll kind of lay it out for how I do it with people. So primarily in the residential, I do multifamily, anywhere from two to ten unit buildings that I'm selling, mm-hmm. and that is the investors there that I work with also invest with us in syndication, so they diversify their portfolio. Oh, nice. um, post monthly investor meetups for uh, at my brokerage with people that are investing in my market, but people are also interested in investing passively. So it's twofold there. And then when you talk about the the commission and the tax structure, you know, being able to take those commissions, invest it into the larger multifamily projects that we're doing, and be able to use utilize things like 100% bonus depreciation, cost segregation for my real estate professional status, and you know, play with the taxes there. So it all folds into each other. I always say it's not like I have a, a regular W two and I'm doing real estate on the side. It's like real estate is my full game, and 
it all comes full circle and it's very, very helpful. Yeah. It sounds like each aspect of it, you know, ties into the other. Would you say most of the clients that you have in terms of the, the brokerage in your markets in upstate New York, they are, you know, buyers, uh, meaning residents or, or mostly investors, people trying to buy investment properties? It's so I did the math. It's about 75 investors, 25%, you know, owner occupant or residential. Mm. So um, I do a lot of off market stuff. I've closed 19 deals uh, to date in this year, and we're only on February 16th. Yeah, that's crazy. That's because <laughs> I do a, it's because I do a lot of double ended deals as well. So I represent the buyer and I represent the seller on these multifamily projects. And, you know, the, again, those investors, they, some are absentee landlords that are from uh, New York City, California, New Jersey, all the way from Australia that invest in my market. And then some are local and they'll buy a duplex, then maybe put 50,000 with us on a syndication, then right. go buy a triplex and, you know, just diversifying and really uh, opening up their portfolio. Absolutely. That's amazing. So, you know, coming from having so many investors, you know, as part of your clientele, you probably get a lot of feedback from them in terms of what they're looking for and what are their what are their tenants like and, and what are some of kind of tricks of the trade that oh, yeah. right I and mean, how long were you doing that brokerage thing until you actually started investing in your own deals so it, it kind of because i'm only 23 years old i'm pretty young so i don't have a lot of <laughs> right. uh, you know landing under my belt but That's it was incredible. i actually i actually bought my first property it was a duplex the same month i actually got my brokerage license i bought it off market so I started doing some small stuff and then about a year and a half, call it two years later, after uh, doing the real estate brokerage side of things, we started doing the the multifamily syndications and raising capital and investing wow. in the projects. So um, it all happened pretty quick yeah. but because I'm just so submerged in it and, and every day that's all I'm doing and talking to clients, talking to investors, talking to sellers, buyers, other investors like yourself, Yona, and with the podcast, it. It, it happened a lot. It all came out like a fire hose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tell me about. It. I didn't realize that you were you were that young. I mean, that's that's incredible to be to be as Thank far you. along as you are and and have that experience and just plugging forward. What would you kind of take that off to? What has given you that? Was it? Would you have mentors? Did you have people that inspired you? Was it like some bigger pocket? I mean, how did you have that? You know, wherewithal at such a young age to really just throw yourself in and move so fast in the real estate space. So it, it all kind of came at, at different avenues. So I never went to college right out, out of high school. I did one day at <laughs> community college and I actually dropped out when I got the syllabus. I was like, this just really <laughs> isn't for me. And I uh, started working at a car dealership and I was uh, a very high level performer there on a 17 dealerships. I was, you know, neither or, or either one or two finishing each month. So I had that sales mentality. And during right. that time, I, I, I just read a lot of books and a lot of podcasts. I probably read 80 books in a year, um, all mainly real estate related and really just kind of educated myself. And uh, my manager, who was phenomenal, he said, you know, as long as you keep up your sales and your numbers, he's like, I don't care when you're here. So I would spend time away from work, you know, trying to get my license and trying to learn more about real estate. So it all kind of came from, you know, the podcast, like everyone says, the books, like everyone says, um, but also doing, that's going to be the biggest one. So not having that analysis paralysis and diving and doing deals and uh, working with other investors, I started to meet up, I started a podcast and I did that really even before I did a deal, just to network with other individuals. Never really had a mentor. Not that I didn't really believe in the, the mentor mentality. Uh, it just wasn't an avenue I decided to take because a lot of these mentorship programs is either stuff I already knew or uh, 
it, it just seemed like for the money, I could get it somewhere else for a little bit cheaper. But I, I think it all ended up working out and strategic lending is what my partner and I like to say. So between my partner and I, we are di- diversified through our retirement account and cash of over 1400 apartment units. And we've strategically lent to other syndicators and invested on their projects uh, to build relationships. So we've lent with syndicators in our markets that we want to dive into to kind of see what they're doing, learn from them. And it's a, it's, it's a give, give kind of relationship. We're giving them capital to invest in their deals, which they're looking for in return. Uh, we're getting information, we're building a relationship and vice versa. So I think that's a really good way to also see how things are done from a, a different perspective before we actually took action and did that. That is amazing. That, that's a great idea, a great strategy for anyone listening to this. Uh, I never really thought about that I did people talk about how to get involved in multifamily, how to get involved in deals, how to find new markets. And you hear a lot about people, you know, saying, oh, passive, invest passively as a limited partner in a deal or something like that. But it's not much different from what it sounds like you're doing in terms of lending to uh, what kind of structure, if you don't mind me asking, what kind of structures are you guys doing in, with those loans? Regular, we're just lending to syndicators, just like normal, but they're not major operators. They're smaller ones in the MSAs we want to be in. So it's not like we're going through a uh, investor relations manager. We're going directly to the syndicator. We have their cell phone and mm-hmm. we can ask them questions and therefore you know, partner with them on deals potentially too. So um, it's not like we're doing hard money or private money loans. We're just doing the traditional syndication lending and we're just investing in other syndicators' projects. Oh, I see. What you're so, I mean, is it is it structured as a mortgage at all, or is it is it some sort of preferred equity type loan? Regular equity. So, if someone was raising capital for a five hundred six C offering for right. hundred units in Charlotte, uh, we'll throw fifty or hundred thousand at that. But we target sponsors who are smaller, so they're not dealing with a lot, and we could talk to them directly. And then those markets that we're trying to target as well, so we can learn from them. Interesting. Um, okay, just staying a little bit more connected, but. Again, we target these smaller guys because, you know, you, you look at, I don't want to say Grant Cardone, but like Michael Becker from SPI or like some of those larger guys or Dan Hanford, who they have a whole team built out, getting to that individual, building that relationship with them can kind of be difficult, sure. but dealing with some smaller shops is definitely uh, more advantageous we've seen. Absolutely. And especially if you have someone who is, you know, right now small starting out, but has a lot of ambition and uh, exactly. could potentially grow. I mean, just give you Dan Hamford, for example. <laughs> I remember a few years ago when they did their first deal, it was like a, you know, it was like a 30, 40 unit in, in, exactly. in Chattanooga or wherever it was in Knoxville, Tennessee. And now they're, you know, own thousands and thousands of units. You know, it, it's incredible how fast you can go if you build the right teams and you have the right mindset and just wherewithal to do it. So good idea Definitely. to kind of partner with people at an early stage. And that's how we got uh, KPs on our deals too. So we didn't just want to throw random individuals, uh, key, key principles for those that are unaware of what that is, signing on the loan. We didn't just want random individuals. We wanted someone that we built a relationship with, someone that we trusted, someone that we knew could get the job done, and someone that was also going to be there to help us out, not just to sign the loan and disappear, but to kind of be a mentor to us in that project. Gotcha. Okay. And so now would you say primarily, I mean, you mentioned before that there's a cross between, there's a, what was the word you used? Kind of like a, a give and take between the brokerage, right? The, what you're doing in upstate New York, as well yep. as the investing side, the syndicating in mostly North Carolina, you know, do you see yourself continuing both of those full force or is there an idea to kind of go more heavily involved in one or the other? 
Yes, it's kind of like it teeters. So you've got the real estate brokerage over here. You've got the syndication over here. Over time, it's it's definitely going to do this to where this fades out completely. So for those of you that can't see, you know, <laughs> real estate's up here, real estate sales, and then syndication's down here, and they start to level out, and then syndication or large multifamily starts to take over. And that's that's definitely the goal because there's only so much time in a day, and I can already see where my time is being allocated. It's switching pretty quick. Um, but that's okay because both go hand in hand. It's not like a another job that I just have to get rid of to free up time. Um, it, it's you know I make my own schedule. I work when I want to. I, I get paid based on my performance. Exactly. And uh, it, it all comes again all full circle. Exactly. And are you keeping up with the podcast in the same way? Yep. So for the last two years, we've done an episode every Thursday for the last two years. I will say uh, since I had my daughter in November, and uh, since we got a little bit more heavy on the projects. It's probably now every other Thursday. It's very hard to push out content. Those guys like uh, Joe and Whitney that can put out daily podcasts, obviously they have teams behind them. Right. Still very, very impressive because I can barely keep up with the weeklies. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's crazy. It's hard. I know we, we're putting out two episodes a week and it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it, but it definitely takes a lot of work. It does. But, and you basically started that, like you mentioned, you started that podcast at this a little, you know, around the same time you were doing the real estate as you started investing. Right. So you're just learning from people, you know, like myself and others who are experts in very specific areas to, to learn from. I always say if you want to learn a subject, go start a podcast and then exactly. in interview exactly. experts. And then you literally, it's a lot easier than trying to, you know, pick someone's brain, like call them out. Can I? pick your brain. No, you can't. Well, but, that's exactly oh, will you, it. <laughs> will you guess my podcast? Yes. I always say the podcast benefits everyone because I'm getting to talk to a real estate professional for free. I'm getting to learn info from them. I'm getting to record it so I can go back to it. And that investor is getting their name out. They're getting free advertising. The listener is getting free information. So everyone benefits from it. So when I started, I remember I started it two years ago, I had this dinky little microphone and like had no idea. AJ Osborne was actually my first podcast guest. Oh, wow. Uh, that was before he really got popular. So it was very easy to talk with him and we had great conversations. And so uh, I had him, I had Chris Salerno, um, just some guys of that caliber right up front. And I, it was just a flood of knowledge. I remember I would sit there with a legal pad and just <laughs> I'm jotting down things left and right. And I, I'm just blown away by all this info. And I, I don't think that could work as well today, just because there's so many podcasts in the marketplace. Right. It would be difficult. Not that you can't start it. You definitely can. And you can get guests on. There's more than thousands of real estate investors that are willing to be guests, but building an audience. It's yeah. very difficult because now where there was maybe two years ago, there was hundred, 150 podcasts about real estate. There, there has to be over 500 now, I would imagine just, you know, when I scroll through, it just never ends, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. It, there, there is definitely, I don't know, I want to say a saturation of podcasts, but it's, it's pretty crazy how many there are out there. Building the exactly. audience, I would say, is the hardest part. And I'm very grateful to our audience. Shout out to you guys listening to this because you keep coming back week after week and very grateful for that. See if, if you can remember like something that actually from your interviews that you've obviously interviewed a lot of great, amazing people, successful real estate investors making money, right? And making sense. Oh, yeah. yep. <laughs> and uh, is there anything... Anything that like stands out to you that you learned one time on a podcast that just like kind of changed the way you looked at things or really took to action? Because I, I take so many things to action when I listen to my guests, but I'm always curious to hear other podcasters, what kind of motivates them? 
Yeah. So early on in my career, I had some small multifamilies and I was self-managing them. And I forgot what individual said it on one of my shows, but also in the book, Multifamily Millions by David Lindahl. They both said, you're in the business to invest in real estate, not manage it. And when you manage it yourself, you're going to get burned out and you're going to hate it. And not that I totally hated it, but I totally understand that this is a professional business and there's roles and as you grow, you need to figure out what those roles are. Do you really want to manage the real estate, be in the day-to-day grind, or do you want to be the one kind of sitting back behind the computer, uh, running acquisitions or raising capital or um, finding the properties and analyzing? That's what professional third-party property management is. So I, I'd say the biggest shift I had in my business that made the largest difference, well, there's two and I'll get in that second one, is definitely not self-managing. Hire out someone professional, focus on working on the business, not in the business. I think that's huge. And the the second one, wow, I'm forgetting it now. Oh, right, going big, really. And so instead of starting out, well, you can start out with the duplexes, but trading up and getting something like 24 units under one mm. roof, or 32 units like we're doing right now under one roof right. um, it is massive because you can build on scale. And it's very difficult to have management on those small assets versus these larger ones. I wouldn't even say larger. They're considered small in the grand scheme of things it's much easier to place management on them and it, it runs much smoother and you only have one roof versus 24 roofs or 12 roofs or whatever you want to say. And I, I wrote a whole blog post on single family versus multifamily and it, it really just makes sense. It clicks and it's, it's more of a professional business at that point. Those are two incredible perspectives. I mean, first of all, just figuring out what it is that you're good at, right. And, and make, how to maximize yourself. And they really go hand in hand going big because you really can't go big if you're trying to manage, micromanage, you know, all your properties. So finding property managers and finding the right team members to take care of that. So you can do what you're best at. That is, that's a great advice and going big. I mean, I heard this from Grant Cardone, you know, years ago when I read 10X, like I found on LinkedIn, like when I first got onto LinkedIn, literally within like the first month, this is like four or five years ago. And I was like, wow, what is this 10X thing? Let's, let's, let's read this. And it was just like blown, blown away, like go big or go home just kind of take push yourself beyond your limits and beyond what you even imagine is possible aim for that and you know work towards it on a daily basis and you'll get there and i've seen that for myself and my business and and so many other aspects of my life that i kind of taken that so going big definitely way to do it i've seen other syndicators and people talking about how no you have to start small you really you know start off in small units small properties and you learn the ropes and others are like no Start, you know, start at a uh, hundred units and up, you know, that's how right, you're going right. to learn, learn the highest way. So obviously it sounds like you've done something a little bit in between you, you started off small, but you realize pretty quickly that uh, going bigger is going to be able to, to make it, make it work. For sure. I mean, when I first started, I was all about the, you know, I'm going to buy a duplex, I'm going to buy a triplex. You know, there was this one street that I had uh, a few properties on and I had other properties under contract on it. I was like, I'm going to buy the whole street. I'm going to transform the whole area. <laughs> and very quickly, I realized I, I didn't want to do that. And I remember early on when I was doing the podcast, I had some people on talking about, you know, large multifamily syndicating private equity. And I was like, oh, that's only for the big players. That's, you know, I'll never get to that. And then I looked at my small portfolio and I was like, this is going to take me forever to scale and just kind of learned more about that syndicating and how uh, you can do it. And the average Joe can do it. But something I want to point out, and I hear this a lot is, and and people have different beliefs on it. It's certainly possible, but they say, oh, you know, you can syndicate with none of your own money and you can do it for a zero down and blah, blah, blah. 
not necessarily when you're going into a project, you need whatever that purchase price is. You need one to 2% earnest money deposit. Right. Um, you need some lender fees up front, maybe an appraisal. There's many other fees you need to put up front for a project to get into it. And someone's not really willing to lend that to you, especially if it's your first project, an investor, especially when they're not making any return on that capital because it's well, the deal's under contract. Mm. For example, uh, the first deal my partner and I did, we had about $120,000 into the deal between deposits, due diligence, uh, appraisals, lender fees, insurance, what, whatever that is, we had that much money into it. And that was our own capital. Right. And we were fine with that. And we got reimbursed for all that at closing. And that's something people need to think about when they're getting into the syndicating or the multifamily game is you definitely need the capital at your disposal. Because if we're chasing after a $10 million deal and we need, you know, 1% of that hard, we're talking $100,000 that we have to put down day one, and that's going to be our own capital. And then there's other fees outside of that. So that's something people need to think about. But maybe you can find a money partner who is willing to put that money down for you to have a larger piece of equity in the deal. But if you don't really have that experience, it's very unrealistic. That's so, so powerful. I think people get into the real estate game and kind of see the, the shiny object and things like that and think there's there's a lot a lot less to it than there actually is. I think you kind of right. laid out some great points there that everyone needs to be considering. I mean, talking about those things, yes, you would love, love to go big, but wait a second, are you able to get there? Like, how can you actually practically do it? You know, yes, you're going to need not only the earnest money, you're going to need reserves. You're going to need, you know, liquidity, like the bank's not going to give you a loan. And yes, you can have a co-signer, like you mentioned, but you got to figure those pieces of the puzzle out. Yep, exactly. Net worth, balance sheet, liquidity, like you were saying. And, and that, that's exactly why some people don't want to get into the active realm. I had a, a, a new investor who did some small passive stuff years ago, mm -hmm. and he approached me and he wants to buy a four family I have listed. And great guy, I'm really educating him, but he's just saying there's so much to learn. And this is such a small asset and it's much more difficult than passive investing. And well, there's your opportunity to passively invest if you don't want to get into that active day-to-day -day role. For sure. And are with that being said, being passive investing, in your journey, have you, uh, obviously, the majority of what you've been doing is in small multifamily and now into large multifamily. Are there any other asset classes that you're considering or have looked into or have invested in? Uh, in, in real estate, correct? Or anything, really. Okay. So my partner and I, we pursued some self-storage. We put some offers in, nothing that stuck, one that did stick, but we actually ended up walking away from it because it wasn't a good deal. But something I've been also educating myself on the side with is uh, triple net leases. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm getting very familiar with triple net leases, how they work, how they function, what contacts to have, because I would like to diversify our portfolio into those triple net lease spaces. And you know, a, a quick and dirty Basically, let's take a, a Chick-fil-A, for example. Right. You may own the building, but Chick-fil-A is going to pay all the expenses. They're going to pay the taxes, the insurance, the, the maintenance, uh, the utilities, and then the rent. So really what the rent is at the end of the year, that's your NOI because there's no expenses associated with it. And that is the most passive form of investing, I would like to say, especially if you have a you know a grade A tenant. Right. And my my goal eventually personally for my portfolio or maybe my investors portfolio as we we ramp that up is to go in you know purchase these triple net properties in cash or 1031 into them do cash out refinances and deploy that capital in other areas because the the returns are so small in those projects mm -hmm. and uh, to meet the debt service coverage ratio right out of the gate you have to put anywhere around 40 to 50% down in those projects but mm. they're uh, very advantageous i've had some people on the podcast to talk about it I've read a few books on it. It's not a heavily educated space. There's certainly stuff online about it. Sure. But 
multifamily is definitely definitely our bread and butter. We had an accepted offer on a car wash with two automatic bays and five self-service bays. It was a complete cash cow. But while we were under contract, uh, we had a massive storm and the whole facility actually flooded, including wow. the utility room. So we actually stepped away from that. And it's much more management intensive than we we thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like to educate myself in a lot of different areas, whether that's you know self-storage, industrial, retail, uh, triple net, you know, car wash, specialty, multifamily, all those different things. I want to diversify our portfolio in. So right now we're in multifamily. We're very familiar with it. Uh, we own it. We know how it works, but we want to master it and yeah. really build up a, a sizable portfolio before we move to the next. You know, I, I'm not sure uh, an individual sends out a uh, monthly newsletter, a physical one. I'm not going to mention his name because I don't know if he wants that out there, but he was just talking about how they're buying a car wash portfolio and they're adding to it. They're very heavy in the multifamily space. And then self-storage and now car washes. And I found that super interesting because last year we were looking at car washes. So uh, as far as alternative assets go, I think the order is going to be multifamily. Um, Then we're looking at triple net and self-storage somewhere over there next, just to diversify. But we want to be educated. You have to be. I mean, it's really amazing because there's so much, so much opportunity out there. But like you said, it really all comes from education. If you don't, yes, exactly. if you're not looking to learn, looking to grow, and looking to find those opportunities, you're not going to find them, right? They're not going to necessarily jump at you. But if you have your eyes open and you're educating yourself, those, you know, it's really all about stimulus, right? When you learn about something or think about something, then it's shown to you and it presents right. itself yep. to you. And those opportunities are in front of your mouth. So that's amazing. Just thinking about that educating yourself and more things that you actually want to do will actually kind of bring that to your, to your presence. Yeah, most definitely. And we, we put offers in lots of buildings, like I said, self-storage, we've done uh, numerous offers. I've looked at some projects, didn't end up working out. Um, some of them we didn't offer on, but I've also like in my local market, I've offered on some Starbucks. Um, I've also off, excuse me, offered on some other um, retail businesses that are pretty popular and chain businesses that I know are safe investments. Right. And, uh, you know, just getting yourself exposed and, and falling into what you know. And so in my local market, I know locations, I know where these shops are and where they're popular and, and kind of figuring out, looking at the lease, see how much value is there. And again, just kind of building and educating and taking action to do so. That's amazing. Very cool. Love, love to hear that. Love to hear the diversification and, and, so many people doing different things, especially yourself starting out at such a young age. I mean, it's incredible to see how, you know, how kind of you're beating, <laughs> beating the crowd, so to speak. So many people waiting, uh, Thank you. you know, many people trying to get into this later in life, later in the career. And it's amazing to see someone like yourself taking it on at such an early time. Um, I want to transition to what we call now the final four. These are four questions we ask all of our guests on today. First question for you is going to be, what is the worst job that you ever had? So the worst job I had, the second you said it, I knew exactly what it was because it was so terrible, but I worked at a car wash and the, the job itself wasn't bad, but on Sunday nights, you they would do what's called the pit clean out and where the car wash goes through, yes. there's a grate in the middle and you go down about five feet into this, you know, three feet of muck from a week's worth of washing thousands of cars. Yeah. And we'd have to shovel it out into wheelbarrows and dump it into a pit. And so it oh. called pits. And uh, it, it, it was rough, but it was sometimes fun. And we did it to uh, to get a bonus, basically. And so when we're young and determined, you're, you're 17 years old, you're willing to do anything, but it sucked. <laughs> that is, uh, I just don't even want to picture what that <laughs> must yeah, have been it was like. Rough. 
That was rough. Wow. Okay. Um, next question. What's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? I would say uh, The Go-Giver. If anyone hasn't read that book, I'm forgetting who the writer is, the author. Um, Bob Berg. Yeah. Yes, that's I'll what that, it is. Yep. I'll put so, that in the show notes. Definitely. Go-Giver. Phenomenal book. Uh, a really good friend of mine that I sold his portfolio. He had 29 units. He gave it to me and he's like, hey, you know, Merry Christmas. Just read this book. You can read it in a day and it's really short and sweet, but it, it changes your mindset. It's, mm-hmm. it's a story and it changes your mindset on how giving to other individuals short and sweet, you shouldn't expect anything in return, but you're adding value to someone at no additional cost. And that'll bring benefit back around to you. And just reading, I, I always believed in that, but reading that book really uh, expanded on that a little bit or uh, highlighted on it a little bit more and really got me excited about just being able to add value to people. I know we hear that all the time, add value, add value, value, add value, add, you know, but um, really helping someone become educated and confident. And uh, maybe if they're in a tough situation, just kind of step up to the plate and help them out. Mm-hmm. 100%. Incredible. It's funny because I've never read that book, but so many people have mentioned it and the concepts in there just, I relate to so much. So I haven't gotten around to reading it, but I'm like, I think I'm doing it already. So we'll just leave it at that. But, you know, it's kind of about living the concept, not necessarily reading about it. Third question, which is what is a skill or talent that you would like to learn? I would really like to learn to speak Italian. So my wife and I, we started to uh, learn that because we're we're planning on going to Italy very soon, but I would like to be fluent in another language, you know, just Mm. be able to speak another language or just if my wife and I knew Italian, I think it'd be really cool if we're around family or friends and we're just speaking Italian, talking to each other and no one else can understand us. Uh, So I think that'd be something really cool to learn. That's amazing. Do you have family like Italian in Italy? Yep. My, uh, my grandfather is directly mm. off the boat. He does live here now though, but it's very hard to understand him because he has a very heavy Italian accent, but, uh, all my family is from Italy. So we're, uh, they are fluent in Italian. Some of the older ones or some that are deceased, but myself and my parents were not too, too fluent. My dad is, but he doesn't share with us too much because no right. one else knows. <laughs> right, right. Just got to jump on that. You know, and learning language is really about immersing yourself. So Exactly. When you're there and you go visit, that's going to be the best time to to pick it up. Exactly. Very good. Fourth and final question: What does success mean to you? Success to me is 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 comfort. I think being comfortable in life where you're at a form of security. So a lot of people mark success as a, a dollar figure or a status or mm-hmm. um, you know being in this house with this car or something like that. I want to be comfortable for myself, my family and secure. I don't really have an end goal. I don't want to have this giant private equity firm that is super successful by a dollar amount. Success for me is just being comfortable, I think. And so not being able to have to worry where uh, the next paycheck is going to come from. Not that, not that I do now, but not being worried about what's going to happen in five years or if I pass away tomorrow, what is my family going to be left with? What are they going to have? I like to have that security. I like to plan. I'm a planner. So success is being able to build a roadmap follow it as close as you can and uh, make sure that the ones I care about are taken care of and secure. Awesome. Amazing. Love to hear that. It's a great perspective on success and uh, wishing you much uh, continued success in, in your journey. Dante, it's been a Thank pleasure. You. I appreciate that. Really been a pleasure. How can our listeners reach you or find out how to reach out to you? Yeah, definitely. So a few places. Uh, number one is our website, victorycapgroup.com. So victory and then cap, C-A-P group.com. You can fill out a form. You've got my contact information at the bottom of the page. Uh, Pretty popular on social media and Instagram. So uh, at Dante Belmonte, 
And uh, my email will be right on there too, Dante at Victory Cap Group. Happy to talk with anyone. If you click the uh, link in my bio on Instagram, you can book a call with me, find our website, our podcast, all that good stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you again. We'll make sure to put all that into in the show notes as well. So if anyone wants to click the see more button on the whatever podcast app you're listening to, whether it's Apple or Spotify or Podchaser or who knows what you're listening to, like Google, I think there's, there's like 20 or 30 apps nowadays you can listen to podcasts. Yep. <laughs> Always amazes me how like everyone has like their favorite one. Like, no, I only listen on Podcast Addict. Like, that's it. I'm like, okay, fine. That's good, you know? <laughs> Whatever fills your boat. <laughs> right. Good for you. Well, thank you guys. Thanks to our listeners, first of all, for listening all the way to the end. This was a great episode. I learned a lot. Really pleasure speaking with you again, Dante. And just want to thank you again for having taking the time, spending with us. Awesome. Thank you, Yona. Always a pleasure speaking with you. All right. And to our listeners, remember the best advice comes only when you ask. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.